Let's open up to Acts chapter 4. Pastor Ray, thank you for the very warm welcome. Once again, my name is Ken Slam. I serve as the pastor of our Bridgeport location. Always grateful to be with you all here in this room or also for those who are watching from home. Acts chapter 4. Uh, today we're going to be primarily focusing on verses 21 to 31, but we will be going through all our verses just to get some context uh, to what is happening here. Okay, so let me go ahead and read our verses and then we're going to just dive right in. So Acts chapter 4, and I'm going to read from verse 23 to 31 here, okay? Verse 23. When they were released, Peter and John, apostles and disciples, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we continue back in our sermon series in the book of Acts today, which records the first 30 years of the history of the early church. Now, some people like to call this the Acts of the Apostles, but I think it's better described as the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because it is an extraordinary God working through ordinary people to accomplish the mission of Jesus Christ. And the way the Spirit worked through the church back then is how he wants to work through us today. And as we've seen in the book of Acts already, the church is growing very fast. That in Acts chapter 1, there's 120 believers. By Acts chapter 2, there are 3,000 believers. And as we'll see in Acts chapter 4, 5,000 men were also added, not including women and children. Okay, So the church is growing very fast right now. And this all happens within the context of the Roman Empire, the biggest, most prominent, powerful, and prosperous nation in the world. They had multiple religions, multiple spiritualities, multiple gods and goddesses like Aphrodite, the goddess of lustful desires. Marriages were not being honored. Adultery and fornication were rampant. Women were not being honored. Babies are, were unwanted and tossed to the road. And when you pause to think about it, there's a lot of similarities between Rome and America. And it's within this cultural climate that's just like ours. The church grows and the world is changed. 
This is incredible hope we have in the book of Acts, is that if the Spirit could work through ordinary and faithful people in that day, he can do so today in Park Community Church. Amen? Amen. But in order for that to happen, the church needs to be courageous. Without boldness, the gospel won't grow. That if we want to see the gospel impact our culture, our neighborhood, and the people in our lives, we need the courage to talk about Jesus. If we stay quiet, the gospel won't spread. Also, we, we don't have, if we don't have courage, our church won't grow because it's within this biblical community we edify one another by preaching the gospel to one another to live faithfully before Jesus Christ. And this past year with the pandemic, there have been so many moments where it's been so easy just to lose heart. We need courage to endure. Now, sometimes when people think about courage, it means about suppressing that emotion and pushing that fear as far back as possible. But it's also been said that courage is not the absence of fear, but the presence of something greater than fear. And that's what we see happen in the early life of the church here in Acts 4, that the believers here are shaken because of the powerful threats that are coming against them. And by the end of this chapter, they are filled with courage. And the reason this happens is because of prayer. They were a praying church. And when you consider the early church, one of the most distinguishable characteristics of the church were that they were people who prayed. That in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus ascends and they are told to wait in Jerusalem for the promised Holy Spirit, what do they do in their waiting? They pray. And we read later on that 3,000 souls are added to the church. And we just saw in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that all these new believers are now devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and we read that the Lord added to them those who were being saved every single day. The church was bold. The church was unshakable. People were coming to saving faith. A gospel movement was growing because they were a praying church. Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China, said, When we work, we work. When we pray, God works. The church knew that in the face of crisis and opposition, they were only as strong and courageous as when they prayed. So what we're going to look at here today is that we're going to look at how the disciples prayed in our verses. And what you need to see here is that we actually have the longest recorded prayer in the book of Acts. Now you have to ask yourself, why does Luke do that? Well, it's to teach us how to pray and experience boldness when we're shaken. So here are the three insights to their prayers and why it gave them courage. So first is this, they prayed with their church. Second insight, they prayed biblically. And then finally, they prayed for mission over comfort. They prayed with their church, they prayed biblically, and they prayed for mission over comfort, okay? So first, they prayed with their church. Now, some context here from last week. Peter and John has just, crippled, has just healed a crippled man at the beautiful gate, and it's created this huge commotion at the temple. The crowd gathers, and Peter takes this opportunity to preach about Jesus, that this miracle that you see happen with this crippled man, everything that's happened with him physically is what Jesus can do for you spiritually. 
spiritually. And what happens is that 5,000 men come to saving faith. And that gets us to Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are arrested and they stand before the religious leaders of the day, most notably the Sadducees, and they were angry. Now, why were they angry? Were they anti-healing? Did they prefer sickness? (laughs) No, it's because they started talking about Jesus. And just a quick reminder, as Christ followers, rarely will we ever feel the heat for doing acts of kindness to others. It's only when we start talking about Jesus do we begin to feel the opposition of the devil. So let's read verses 1 here to 12, get some context. And as they were speaking to the people, Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and a number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice this again. Right before he's about to say something courageous, what happens? He is filled with the Spirit. Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is a stone that, that it was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved." Now, Jesus here, he's a big problem for the Sadducees. Now, a couple of reasons. First off, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. So when people were asking the disciples, how is this lame man healed? How is this possible? He's over 40 years old. He's been here for such a long time. And the disciples keep saying, it's because of the resurrected Jesus. You think he's dead. He's not dead. He's still busy at work. The Sadducees, they they were like, no, 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 this is not good. Another reason why they were angry was because Jesus was a threat to their power. What you need to understand in this moment is that the Sadducees were the ruling class of the Jews, and they controlled the temple. They controlled the high priesthood here. And the reason for this power is because the Sadducees politically sided with Rome. So if the Sadducees could keep the Jews behaved, Rome would continue to give them power. So this whole idea of a Messiah coming, a king that is coming, and people are following him, and this message that there is salvation in no other name than in Jesus Christ and not Caesar, this is very problematic for them. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized, they couldn't deny this, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. 
But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they confirmed with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a noble sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. So the Sadducees here, they cannot claim ignorance. They cannot do it. They they, they can't deny the healing. The the guy standing right next to them, they can't deny the disciples have been with Jesus because their lives are so transformed. And they have heard about the source of this healing, the resurrected Jesus Christ. The Sadducees had all the evidence in front of them. But instead of asking, what must I do to be saved, they ask, What must I do to stay in power? So to protect their power, they threaten Peter and John. Verse 17. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people for all praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old." Peter and John did not cave into the pressure. And this is actually a biblical example of when it's appropriate to exercise civil disobedience. It's when it conflicts with our allegiance to Christ. But notice here that Peter and John didn't cave in, but the Sadducees, they caved in because of the fear of the crowds. So they released Peter and John. Now notice that as soon as they are released, what is the first thing that Peter and John do? They go to their Christian Friends, verse 23, 24. When they were released, they went to their friends. Isn't that a beautiful word? They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Now, what we have to realize here is that Peter and John. They were shaken, okay? We have to understand that these apostles and disciples, they are just like us, right? They are just like us. They have the same fears. And the reason we know this is because in verse 29, we know that in their prayer, they pray for boldness, right? You don't pray for boldness unless you're scared. You don't pray for strength unless you feel weak. These threats from the Sadducees, they were scary. Remember, not too long ago, Jesus stood before religious leaders just like these, and he was tortured and murdered. The disciples, they know that this threat is very real, and if it wasn't for the crowds, the Sadducees would have punished them, punished them badly. The disciples were shaken, and they turned to their Christian friends, and they pray. Who do you run to when you are shaken? Who are your Christian friends that you can lean on? You know, often it's easy for us, and I like what Pastor Rafe said up here about this idea that everyone who comes here should be an active member because you should be moving towards commitment and not sitting to the sides here. But isn't it so easy and so often where it's easier just to ignore community that for some of us during this pandemic, we have loved the idea of social distancing because we didn't really like people to start off with, right? We want to keep people at a distance. But eventually we know this, 
something hard happens. I got cancer. We're getting divorced. I lost my job. And then you need that intimacy and care from others. Let me first say that as a church, we love you and we welcome you. But this is going to be very hard because these type of relationships take time to foster. Who are you inviting in your life right now so that they can check up on you, call you, pray for you? Don't wait for things to fall apart before bringing them into, before being part of a spiritual family. In addition, when you notice here that, the, that Peter and John run to their friends, also notice that they are honest with their fears. In verse 29, they ask God, look upon their threats. Well, how would the disciples know to pray for threats unless Peter and John told them about these threats? Peter and John didn't just say, oh, you know, how was your day? Oh, it was okay. You know, we just had a few issues with the civil authorities. You know, we'll be just fine. No, they didn't fake it. They were honest with each other and with God in their prayers. And if you've read the Bible, it is incredibly honest and has a lot of heartbreaking prayers. The Bible never dances around the hardship of life and neither should we. And what this means is that when someone asks you how you are doing, you have biblical permission to be honest. And more importantly, to pray together. And it's when we pray together, we can embolden one another because in crisis, and this is my own experience, in crisis, it is very hard to see past the issue that is right in front of me. But when I hear others pray with faith, guess what happens to my faith? It gets strengthened. I feel the presence of God when I pray with others, and I'm reminded that I am not alone and that God has my back because my church has my back. It is very difficult to be bold and courageous for Jesus on your own. The disciples, the apostles didn't try to do it. You shouldn't try to do that. Here's a second insight. They were bold because they prayed biblically. Now, let me just read 24 to 28 again. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. But Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, the first thing I want to point out here is that when these disciples pray, they take five verses to tell God who he is and only two verses to ask what they want from him. You notice that? Five verses to tell God this is who you are. They are hollowing his name. And only two verses just to say this is what we need. And the reason they do this isn't because God needs to be reminded of who he is, but as Christians, we need to know who he is. You know, the first thing they recognize in their prayers is that God is the creator of all things. Verse 24, sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, that their lives are shaking right now and so is the world around them, but God is higher than this world. The second thing they recognize is that God rules over all. That he doesn't just create all things. He also rules over all things, even the works 
of evil men. In verses 25 and 26, Luke is quoting from Psalm chapter 2, a messianic prophecy. It says that the Gentiles rage, the people plot, the kings and rulers go against God. And this is a prophetic word which is then fulfilled in the crucified Jesus, Pontius Pilate. Here, they did exactly what Psalm chapter 2 says, but in their prayer, they're saying, God rules over all of it. As a matter of fact, it was through their wicked plans, God accomplishes his saving purpose. He predestined. There is nothing that happened that was outside of God's sovereign plan. Doesn't that give us courage to know that? But notice here how doctrine and theology and the power of the Holy Spirit all come together in prayer. That the believers knew that as they were praying, the doctrine of creation, the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture, they had the doctrine of of God's sovereignty. They knew Psalm chapter 2 and Old Testament prophecy. They knew Messianic prophecy. They prayed with their Bibles open, and the Spirit filled them with all boldness. Why? It's because the Spirit of God is also called the Spirit of Truth. When we pray in line with God's word, we are praying in line with the will of God. It's also when we pray biblically, we can claim the promises of God. Did you know that it's in the Bible that we have over 3,000 promises? You know, Peyton Manning is a Hall of Fame quarterback, and I really miss football season. And he is infamous for his preparation. That when everyone else would go home, he would stay in the film room to study the other team. And because of that, he won a lot of games. Because as he's standing on the line of scrimmage and he sees how they line up, he sees their formation, he sees which players are on the field, he knows exactly what play to run. In the same way, the early church knew the scriptures that addressed their situation. So as they were facing different things, they knew exactly where to go in Scripture to receive hope and strength. And this is why we too need to know the Word of God because when the hard times comes, right, we can have the confidence to go into it and know that our God is greater. You know, many of you guys know this, but often on our church prayer calls, Monday to Saturdays at 12 p.m. and on Sundays morning here at South Loop here, We start praying, and it isn't long before people start reciting Scripture. You know, as a matter of fact, this past Friday, Pastor Rafe was actually leading the time, and we spent about 10 to 12 minutes just having person after person after person pray their favorite Bible verse. And can I tell you, it filled my soul. I didn't say much in that prayer time, but man, as they were praying Scripture, I could feel the very promises of God that I needed to hear in my life. You know, this past year has been challenging for all of us, and we have all cried out for God for different reasons. And a part of me worries for us because we can pray, lay all our anguish and heartache before God, and sometimes we can leave frustrated feeling that God is being silent and unloving towards us. When in reality, he is loving and he is providential, but we're just ignorant of it because we are ignorant of his word. 
God is not silent. He has spoken and continues to speak to us through his word. You know, for example, many of us, I know this, I've talked to some of you, many of us are struggling with the future. It is so uncertain with all that is happening. You need to know that God speaks to us. In Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, let your requests be made known to God. In Matthew chapter 6, look at the birds of the air, the flowers in the field. Are you not much more valuable than they? In Romans chapter 8, what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. If we want boldness in our lives, we need to pray with the Bible open because it's when we have the Bible open, we gain a greater vision of God, a God who is greater than all of my troubles and all of my circumstances. Amen? Amen. And here's the final insight. They were bold because when they prayed, they put mission before Comfort. Oh, we're going to go there. Prayed for mission before comfort. Verse 29 and 30. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hands to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Notice what they are not praying. God, get rid of all of our troubles. God, crush our enemies. God, have them pass laws so everyone has to agree with us. They don't pray that at all. They don't pray for anything to change in their circumstances. Instead, they pray for everything in here, in here to change. They don't ask God for revenge. They ask God for more miracles of healing. What compelled them to pray like that? Well, why, why, did they, well, why is their prayer so different from mine? Look at verse 29 again. They pray, right? They say this. Now, Lord, look upon their threats. God, consider what they have said to us. They are telling us not to speak of your son's name anymore. They're telling us that if we do this, if we continue to proclaim that we're going to lose our lives, Father, help us to be bold because there is nothing more important than your son's name and honor. That is why they prayed the way they did. Verse 29 and 30. And grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Notice that the disciples pray for boldness. They pray for God to stretch out his hands and heal people. They pray for signs and wonders to happen. Why? is so that people would know the name of Jesus Christ. One of the major problems of our prayer life today is that we focus way too much on ourselves, our needs, our concerns, our wants, more than God. You know, look at the prayers that you've given this week. How much time did you spend on your concerns and how much time did you spend praying for God's will to be done? Now, I do want to be careful here. This is not to say that we can't pray for protection and deliverance. As a matter of fact, later on, we're going to read about how Peter's in jail and the church comes around them to pray for their release, okay? So it's okay to pray for better circumstances. But the question for you is this. 
What is more important for you? Is it for your pain to be eased or to see people come to know the gospel? You see, in their prayer, they discerned their greatest need. And the greatest need in this moment was not a change in their circumstances. It was to have our hearts grounded in God. That my heart is so connected and in love with God that no matter what happens, my faith endures and is strengthened. In verse 31, after they pray, it says that the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Notice that as soon as they say in Jesus' name, amen, the room shakes afterwards. Why? That was God's way of letting them know that he was present through the Holy Spirit. Now here's the thing. God has always been present. But the shaking reminds them that he is the greater power. And this is what I find so fascinating, that this shaking happens and the disciples are not first led to fear, but they are led to courage and boldness. Why? It's because 2,000 years ago, Jesus was bold for us. That he took on our judgment and guilt and sin and condemnation and it's on the cross Jesus was shaken so that we can be bold before any opposition and hardship and circumstance. It's because our greatest fears have been dealt with on the cross and resurrection. Thus, for any of us who have put our faith and hope in Jesus Christ, we can now experience the greatest courage because we know that God is for us. In Christ, we can have all the boldness that we need to outlast the worst of all circumstances because my purpose is not taken away. My hope is always secure because it is rooted in the eternal Christ. So often, the reason that we shake is because our foundation is not on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, but in fragile things like our career, our money, our relationships, our health, and things like the pandemic comes around and everything is now up in the air and you're shaken to the core. All that the pandemic has done is shown you what you have ultimately trusted in. You know, and this reminds me a lot of actually what my kids do. Now, there's many times we put our snacks and toys on the top shelf so our kids can't mess with it. But even though we put it all the way up there, it doesn't mean that they're not going to try. They try, okay? So what they do is that they begin to build a terrible ladder full of things that you should never stand on. So it's a bunch of cushions. They add a ball to it. I don't know why. Plastic chairs. This thing is a death trap. And when they stand on it, they are swaying back and forth. And I'm screaming and trying to get them back on solid ground. Can I just say... The reason we're shaking is because you guys are just like my kids. We're building our life, our life on foundations that we shouldn't be. What we see with the early church in their prayer is that they were focusing on the one thing that will last forever, the one thing that will never, ever fall apart. They were grounding themselves in God grounding themselves in God's word, grounding themselves in God's love and power. And this same hope that they have is the very same hope that we have, that even though everything else in my life might be falling apart, I won't be shaken because Jesus is unshakable. Amen? Amen. Let me just close with this here. The place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. 
Notice here in verse 31 the parallels with Pentecost. In Pentecost, the disciples pray, and later on we read that a rushing wind shakes the room. They are filled with the Spirit, and they start to speak tongues. Why? So that they can share the good news with the nations around them. Acts chapter 4 here, they pray. The room shakes. They're filled with the Spirit, and they speak the Word of God with boldness. What we need to see here is that what happened at Pentecost is not a one-time event, but the blessing of Pentecost can come upon the church every time the church prays because every time we pray, we're being constantly renewed in our awareness of the Spirit's presence and power in our lives. And when this happened, we too, just like the early church, we will move out in boldness. We will share about Jesus. We will storm the gate of hell. Friends, let me ask you, what church do you want to be a part of? Do you want to be part of a church that is more concerned about your comfort and your power like the Sadducees? Or do you want to be part of a church that is praying for boldness because people need to know the name of Jesus Christ? You know, Samuel Chadwick, a 20th century Methodist minister, said this, the one concern of the devil is to keep saints from prayer. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. When you pray, does the devil tremble and shake? There is no gospel movement without boldness, and there is no boldness without spirit-dependent prayer. So with that, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father God, Lord, help us to be a praying church. That God, even as I look at my own heart, it is so easy to trust in my efforts, in my works, in the things that produce visible results. And that God, it's difficult to trust in the invisible. It's hard to trust that you're working behind the scenes. It's hard to release that control. But, Father, would you help us to let go? Because, Father, if we continue to hold on to our lives with our own hands, it will only go as far as we can take it. But, Father, when we're in your hands, God, that's when we become a gospel movement. That's, Father, that's when we become unshaken because we stand on the solid rock of your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, help us, Lord, to be a praying church. God, help us to be a bold church. Help us to be a Holy Spirit church. God, not for our sake, but it's because the name of Jesus Christ, the name that is above every name, the Savior who was shaken to the core so that now we can come to the throne with all boldness because when we come before you, we now receive mercy and grace for our time of need. God, may that encourage us and embolden our hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.